Well, that's the starting of episode number 194. Johnny singing My Neck, My Back. And I don't even know what the actual uh, artist is or the title of that song. Oh, me. I feel, tr- uh, I, feel, I feel like I should. Something like Trina? Is it Trina? I don't know. I, I get, I'm going to guess the song is also called My Neck and My Back. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm you, probably, probably right there. Are you Googling this? No, I'm not actually. Trina, my neck, my back. Obviously, you need to learn to squat. No, it was uh, a song by oh, O E Jive, O W E Jive, or J I V E. I don't know. Uh, I met, that may have been the writer. Um, the singer was Kia featuring DSO. There we go. Sounds uh, interesting. Yeah, this looks. This looks interesting. There's a looks like a uh, acoustic cover of it by L or Ellie King. L King, should we play it? We might get kicked off, but copyright. But oh, bloody video ads! Love video ads, isn't you? Yeah, they get on my nerves. Like, what? Why do we have to have ads and everything? I suppose you you've got to give away something to uh, to pay for this free stuff. That is true. Let's skip out of it. That's a long intro. <laughs> Whoa, that's a bit explicit. I'm have to stop that. I can't believe she just said that. Un- unbelievable. She actually has three, or that song I should say, has 3.7 million views. In six years, that's pretty good. Well done, L King. Uh, we'll give you a shout out. Anyone listening? She sounds like she could be fun. Any? That's about as many downloads we've got. Eh? Three point seven million. Uh, well, per episode, yeah. Yeah, thought so. Yeah. Per minute, we talk. <laughs> <laughs> we've not hit a million yet, mate. I, mean, I hate to say it. I still think, or even like half a million is quite impressive, really. Yeah, which no. we are. We're pretty close to, I think. For us, no. Normal people, half a million people have listened to bullshit for yeah. a couple of years. It's like Welsh Wonder and the kind of Norfolk Scouse lad. I don't know. Why don't if if someone's listening to this and they got like a million followers on Instagram, then no, don't be shy. Yeah, don't be shy. Shout it out. Share share it around. Yeah, yeah. I, I to be honest, mate. I've always said it's always nice to share. It is. Yeah. I keep te- trying to teach my kids this. So much to share COVID or diseases or a camouflage is nice to share AIDS, really. <laughs> How did you get from COVID to AIDS? <laughs> I know it's just a running joke in work. Whenever, whenever everybody's ill, it's just like oh, AIDS. <laughs> it's really serious. It's double AIDS. Um, I must admit, when I went on my, one of my first diets, um, and this is just your typical laddie behaviour, isn't it? Which obviously we can't really... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Johnny? Condone. Condone, thank you. We can't really condone because we won't. But um, when I went on one of my first diets and then I remember going out with some friends for drinks, which I hadn't been out in a while with. And when I turned up, 
they quite often referred to me as uh, Tom Hanks, aka you know the character from Philadelphia, which you know a lot of people might say is quite rude um, and offensive, but you just take it for laddie behaviour, don't you? I don't think I've seen that. Well, he the the main character got AIDS, so obviously he started to lose a lot of weight. Hence the the comparison banter uh, of saying that because I'd lost weight, I now look like the main character from Philadelphia that contracted AIDS. I don't think that can be deemed offensive in a group of friends. I don't mean it as a offence. Yeah, yeah, it's like a. We don't want to get into politics or um, shit or, or any type of activism, <laughs> but. Yeah, words and intent, I do like to separate personally. I don't feel like uh, they should be conflated all the time. Because they can be different. Like, people can say words, but have very different intents. Um, especially, especially when you start to introduce grammar. Because if you start moving grammar and punctuation, say grammar, punctuation probably I should have said. When you start moving punctuation around, that does change sentences quite dramatically. You ever yes. done that at school or kind of like in, well, maybe not in, I guess you might not have done it because it, you've not necessarily been in corporate roles, but um, you do, in large corporations, you do tend to see like training courses that, that kind of utilize or use these sorts of stuff. But certainly at schools, you did. Um, I was trying to find like a good example, and I can't think one off the top of my head, but like Boris ate a chicken wing. And I I think it like depending upon like how, which word you either iterate or where you put punctuation, you can change that like meaning quite dramatically like Boris ate a chicken wing like you start to question like whether it's Boris or someone else or Boris ate a chicken wing which you start to think about what did he actually do with the chicken wing then if you know you're kind of overemphasizing that ate or Boris ate a chicken wing as if to say it could have been something different you know the way that same sentence can mean so many different things depending upon how you say it or where you put punctuation that's a shit example don't be wrong but I'm on the spot I can't think of a better one so forgive me it could be Boris at a chicken wing, or Boris is a total wanker. It could be one of those, couldn't it, really? Well, I think that means it's one and the same. We can conflate those, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think wanker's really strong enough. Um, I, I like to call Boris an absolute crony cretin. He's a scumbag. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, I, the thing is, right, I actually don't... He is a scumbag. I mean, you've only got to look at his past history in terms of his history of um, racism, misogyny. Uh, lies. Lies, yeah. Untruth. The fact that he threatened a journalist um, to beat him up. You know, it's kind of show. If Boris threatened you, you'd laugh in his face, would you? Um, well, I think it was... I don't think he personally did it. I think... The, I can't remember the exact story, but I think he either paid someone to... to kind of, or he threatened to pay someone to beat him up or something like that. Um, and it was all recorded, and then uh, Andrew Marr and the Andrew Marr show called him out on it, and he basically lied and said he never had, and then they're like, but it's recorded, and like played the recording, so it's kind of like he had to scramble around trying to deny that it meant something different, that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say, he is a scumbag, actually, so I'll take it back, something he said, but I think there are definitely worse people. I, I, I just think Boris is a little bit easy-led, a bumbling buffoon, probably used by a lot of higher powers within kind of certain circles and stuff and he's a bit like the the, the scapegoat almost um matt hancock total like a wanker yeah cock yeah um, if i'm honest you've only got to watch him on tv and think what an absolute horrible human being like horrible as much um, as people don't like piers morgan uh, he did get at him in an interview oh, 
answer the question. No, answer the question. And he got at him. I was like, this is how this, this is how every journalist should behave, when they don't, especially on live TV. Answer the question, or we're not letting we're not letting light. Mm. But every journalist seems to be a bit of a fucking pansy. So you've got these people in front of you. I don't think you can say that, mate. I don't think you can use the word pansy. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like get at, get at, <laughs> get at them. But they don't do they? It's like oh well, leave them crack on then. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll be honest. I, I I actually I don't like the fact that because I I really don't like Piers Morgan. Like I've never have, and I really still don't. And I think he I still think he's a bit of a horrible human being. Like given given some of the the stones he's thrown, yet you know he's caught fucking bugging people's telephones and stuff. Um, yeah. I do think he's a horrible human being. However, and this is the bit I don't like, he has for a large majority during this last 12 months been the voice of reason for a lot of things and he has pushed people and held people accountable where you wouldn't have thought he ever would have done albeit there have also been some really shit moments like the whole fucking Meghan Markle stuff I don't know if you saw that and him walking out and obviously the reason he's now left GMB is ridiculous um, obviously he's just refusing to hear some tr- some home truths and just got up and threw toys out live on TV and obviously now isn't going back so um, apparently been sacked Although it's quite funny about it because I saw like some clips someone had shared of him, uh, like a Snapchat or an Instagram story or something, like with him in the studio going, apparently I've just been sacked or something. They said, did anyone want to offer me a job or something like that, which I thought was quite funny. But he is, he is also a bit more wanker there, that's the thing. What was the other one? Uh, Reese Mogg. Oh, oh, fucking hell. Honestly, Reese Mogg. Uh, what's his uh, Jacob Reese Mogg. He's been brought up as a little man, his boy, who's had everything he ever wants in life, and he thinks he can behave like anyone. What he needs is a good kick in. Yeah. You know, um, you know, his uh, dad wrote a book, uh, basically on the theory of disaster capitalism, which is basically people taking advantage of when uh, economies go wrong, like COVID, like global pandemics, that type of thing. It's basically the book on how to make loads of money when everyone else is fucking ruining life. It's a bit. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's scummy, isn't it? Because obviously the people that take advantage of other people's misfortune, which is effectively what it is, like, it's... It does, what type of human being does that really make you? And then, there you go. I have said also that I'm waiting for gyms to collapse so I can buy some of their gear, like, cheap knockoff, so I'm a bit of an arsehole. <laughs> yeah, we invest. It's like, well, actually, this is, a, you, this is the exact moment you want to invest in it. But I just wait for the market to drop and the companies you... Uh... You invest in, yeah. wait for the market to go tits up well, uh, for a couple of weeks, and then go right. I'll just plow it all in now. Yeah, wait. I suppose. I suppose. I suppose that's fair. I guess the difference. The difference in the disaster capitalism stuff is whether the disaster part of it is manufactured um, through certain, you know, methods or avenues or power by people, so that they can then capitalize on that disaster. So it's kind of created by you know the government. Say the government creates situations where there is some form of kind of disaster or lower economic um, situations what they can then take advantage of. But well, People do take advantage of well, people who just drop in a billion, like, like Elon Musk, they drop in a billion after Bitcoin. That'll affect the price, wouldn't it? Yeah. In a positive way for people, but people will online do manipulate markets, tonight, and they do manipulate a lot of things. They've got so much oh. resource to do what they like. Like yeah. Bezos, well, imagine what he could do to retail. Well, he's gonna just well, not he's gonna destroy. It. He's gonna ch- he's changed it totally, isn't he? Mm-hmm. By himself, well, not by himself, but you know. I'm surprised actually that someone like Amazon hasn't been forced to be broken up into other parts or something now to make them smaller because obviously they they have got such large market share of stuff now. 
Um, I'm surprised that really they just, you know, the problem is I don't know who would regulate them necessarily, but I'm surprised they haven't been forced to kind of have to do something because they're just literally, like you say, taken over, um, taken over whole economies. There is business, and if you're the better business, then that's. Well, that's the, that, yeah, well, that's the debating point. But you look at some of the national utilities and stuff that are forced in that way because obviously you can't have conglomerates or um, not, it's not conglomerates, is that the right word? Um, I don't know. You basically can't have corporations like based on having no competition. But the thing with Amazon, they're not exactly shafting on pricing anything. Anyway. Effectively, it's probably one of the cheapest places to shop well, and it's really quick and it's awesome service. So, so I could say, all right. Yeah. Pretty good. If, it, if they were just ramping prices all the time, it's, I think they'd have to go around about no. This, the, this, exactly. That's the problem with with kind of people's uh, ability or efficacy of avoiding Amazon because you can't because they are the cheapest. They have the best service. You have no quibbles and refunds. Like you can order shit and get here next day. Although I will say, I ordered a my protein order the other day, uh, and it came with free next day delivery because the amount I spent. I ordered it at something like ten o'clock at night, and it was here the next day at like ten a.m. or something. Like, it's ridiculous. It's like it's rid ridiculous. I bought some the other day at like nine in the morning. It was here by eight o'clock the same day. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole same day Amazon stuff is mad. Well, yeah. The thing is, it's that, but it's like this thing that support local businesses, and I'm like, yeah, you you should as much as possible. However, you know, unfortunately, business is business, and unfortunately, and if there's someone bigger than you, does it better than you, then. You know, sadly, that's just how it is, isn't it? And that's that's the conundrum we're in, my friend, as consumers. You know, people say, "Oh, don't buy from Tesco's," but like, yeah, Tesco's were once a probably wouldn't that. I'm seen a you know a corner shop. They were once a small shop, you know, maybe like however many years ago. But oh, everyone's a small place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I will, I will support local businesses, and I will buy stuff. But the problem is that. Well, I will, I will split my shop up around kind of some local local business and stuff like local butchers I use and, and that type of stuff or farm shops. Uh, but there has to be the quality involved. Like I have to, I won't just do it for the sake of buying local. Like I'll spend more at a local place if I feel like, yeah, I'm getting a better, like the butchers I do because a lot of this, the meats and stuff that I'll get there, I do think they're better quality than what I get at Tesco's. So that for me, the value in terms of what I'm buying is worth it and I get the benefit of going local. But if it's the same product, but buying local is more expensive, than buying say Tesco's, I probably wouldn't. I probably would just go Tesco's because at the end of the day, you kind of do have to look after yourself as well. That's the Amazon issue. Mm. But I, well, sorry again, me to miss a place near us. Um, it's a hundred times better than is in any supermarket, so I, I don't mind shopping local for that. But like you say, unless it's better quality mm. or cheaper or whatever or convenient even then it, it, even that though to be honest i find it hard even though because it is like say chicken breasts from my local farm shop are way better than when you get at tesco's but they're also tw literally twice the price like i'll buy two and they are massive i'll buy two massive chicken breasts from um a butcher's and it's like i don't know seven or eight quid or something i'll get like a massive tray of and they are smaller breasts, but like eight chicken breasts, even though they're smaller, but you still get way more chicken for your money out of a Tesco's for a similar sort of price. Yeah. So it does make it difficult to think, oh, but you know, I kind of weigh up, think, well, at the minute I can afford it and he's a lot nicer, so I kind of go with it. But yeah, anyway. Anyway, what's been going on, Jonathan? Well, obviously, we've not really had much of a catch up the last few weeks because we've had guests, um, and hopefully, we've got another couple of guests in the pipeline for the next couple of weeks and so. So, quick catch up. What's going on uh, with your train nutrition? 
got a power rack from the, for the garage. Lovely. Because, um, we were training in a special gym, and then by some um, prick, we call him. Rick the prick, there we are. That's not, that's not the person who done it, mind, but we call him Rick the prick. prick. <laughs> right. Uh, as uh, they decided to inform the police that we were training in a gym. Oh. It's not in a gym, it's a, it's a, it's a cabin, it's just not a gym. Hmm. Only three of us, only three of us ever, and someone didn't like it, obviously. Uh, some uh, bell end. Hmm. They couldn't do that, so I thought, this can't happen. I cannot go six, eight, whatever long it's going to be without training. Just bought a little power rack from MyRefit, some weights, a couple hundred and twenty kilos of weight done right now, so it's enough for now. And then that's led into trying to do the garage out. So that's what I've been doing. Nutrition-wise, maintaining, because cancelled all later next year. Trying to maintain around 210, 212, 215 max. I, my body weight does fluctuate quite harshly. So 270, 215 may seem like a big jump. It is most people, but for me, I can fluctuate 500 a day. It's not too bad. Do it for a bit. And as soon as I creep over 215, I'll diet again. Go to 200, hang about there, maybe go to 205, and go again, do it in stages. Do it like you probably should. Do it right, do it good, do it like you probably should. Yeah. My my squat, my rack. That's good, it is. Get my biceps and my traps. You could be a rapper. You could be a rapper. I could. I'm a big rap fan. What? I'm a big rap music fan. I like rap music. I do like Eminem, the Dre. NWA. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Kanye. Big, I wasn't. I was a massive Kanye fan. Uh, like college dropout and uh, graduation. Uh, my dark twisted fantasy. Very good. From there onwards, that very downhill. Although I will say, listen to him recently on the Joe Rogan podcast from which was recorded months and months and months ago. Don't get me wrong. Um, he's a very spiritual, changed man nowadays, and I think anyone listening to him speak would realise that he's far more educated or kind of nuanced in his thinking than you might realise but anyway by the way I think what I didn't say he was talking about how not so long back it was 50 million in debt and now he's worth something like 2 billion again that's quite impressive 50 million in debt yeah and he's managed to obviously return his fortune around again uh, and is now like with I think with assets that he owns in terms of like stocks in companies and stuff like some of the companies that he owns like this deal with Yeezy Adidas stuff and Gap or whatever uh, he's now worth like 2 billion that is impressive. Very impressive. I think actually. that's what he said. Yeah, it is. It is. You think about going from 50... I mean, don't be wrong. I guess this, this, all, this is all like paper money in terms of like he was 50 million debt on paper, which I guess is still 50 million debt. Don't get me wrong. But it's like it's that kind of like putting stuff... You have to almost um, speculate to accumulate type situation where I guess that 50 million debt was always going to try and accumulate something, which is obviously now accumulated on paper again because obviously that could change it daily with things like stop... Um, stock prices and how they change quite dramatically and stuff. It could be worth a billion the next day from, from one day to the next type of thing. Um, but still, very impressive. But anyway, I don't know. We've obviously gone to Kanye West because you're talking about rap. How was your training nutrition, Mr. Hadley? Um, my training nutrition uh, still all just hasn't really changed. Uh, it's still on its kind of slower main, uh, main maintenance, 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 I don't know what you want to call it, but basically a slow gaining phase, which... I think when I finished my uh, diet phase back end of last year or up to August, and at that point I was always kind of planning, as l- basically my plan from there was always to spend as little time as I need to over the next year or two dieting. So 
I was hoping that with the amount of weight loss that I'd uh, accumulated over that dieting period, probably bought me the best part of minimum 12 months, maybe 18 months without probably having to diet outside of maybe the odd diet break um, if needed. But that would obviously always depend on, I guess, how this this control of my weight gain was. And to be fair, it's been pretty on target-ish. I'm slightly over, I think. I think I mentioned this before. I think my Christmas weight gain did then push my kind of like overall rate averages up um, from August to now. But only probably at the higher end of what I want or maybe slightly over. So nothing I'm too concerned about, basically. So my nutrition is still that. Still very consistent. Don't really seem to have problems adhering. Uh, weight is, I say, just kind of in that nice zone. Um, so I'm just hoping that this just means, yeah, that I don't have to, to diet for at least until end of summer, probably. Um, yeah, outside of that, not much more, really. About diet and trek. It shows right there why people shouldn't do the old dirty bulk scenario, didn't it? Because the, the, the least time you spend in a deficit and dieting, the better. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think, like, anyone who's a regular listener will at least hopefully kind of get that narrative of the fact that we talked about it a few times that in that I don't I don't think the gaining phases and stuff are really the what is kind of that driver or that key part of the process that um, is going to help you kind of generate muscle mass and you know check, do this body transformation. I actually think it's the lack of dieting, which you could argue is one and the same. In that, obviously, if you're gaining, you're not dieting. But I think it's it's the longest you can spend without dieting will have a bigger impact than basically how rapid you gain how heavy you push a gaining phase so for me it's kind of almost like actually you should limit your gaining phase so basically it means that you don't have to diet so that you can push away any dieting phases for as long as possible and hold that off so i think just being out being not in a deficit will just help prime your body better over the longer term to get more optimal results in my opinion from your training from your nutrition all of that type of stuff longer and slower that's what she said. But um, the problem is there's no real studies that show that or kind of there's, that isn't really an evidence-backed thing, although I don't... Makes I don't, sense. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it, may, it might end up being a logical fallacy, but I think it is. it does make sense and it is logical. And I, I think a lot of people might say, well, I wouldn't necessarily completely agree with that hypothesis. Um, in, in the same way, I think like you could take it actually if you were at a happy kind of body composition, if you just almost like and it is impossible to do necessarily but if you did if you could do it you just ate a maintenance forever and just trained you'd probably get as good a results doing that if not better than you would do trying to force uh obviously like big gaining phases and then hard diets and it's probably and and, you know it's not a dichotomy in in terms of it has to be one or the other like that you know there's probably something in the middle still that might even be better in terms of a slightly heavier gaining phase with a few more diets rather than just maintaining the entire time but obviously, I guess there is a element of, by definition, if you're maintaining your weight, you're not putting on muscle mass. So obviously, it's a lot, lot more complicated than probably how I just explained it. But I suppose when I say maintaining, I mean like you maintain your body fat levels, but you trained, um, you, you, you maintained your body fat levels, but your weight obviously is slowly going to creep up because you hopefully by your training, you are generating more muscle mass and more lean body mass. So by that definition, you obviously are still gaining weight, but you're not gaining body fat. I think that only works to a point probably there's going to be areas or elements of how far you get down your career um, in air quotes that you probably have to push things a bit harder maybe potentially at some point or you, a lot of people have said anecdotally that they felt that they put on more muscle mass when they have kind of gone over their comfort levels in terms of how much weight they've put on 
So, yeah, I don't know, I'm waffling a bit, I suppose, but I still think the key element really for a lot of people is to limit the amount of time dieting and just trying to maximise the amount of time you don't have to diet. They make them, trying to like gain time works for a time if you knew, if your body fat's not too high. Like if you're five years deep and 8% body fat, I doubt you can gain body recomp, really. Um, to any significant, well, you won't, you won't be able to see it, let's put it that way. Mm. Um, but it's, I think the old bulking cutting scenario probably hasn't got much of a place for people who don't who aren't competitive. Yeah, we'd all like we'd all like to gain, you know, maximum muscle mass. But for most people, within a couple of years, you've gained probably unless your training's in diabolica and you you eat this diabolica, but you've managed to gain something. Within the first few years, you've probably gained as much muscle as you're ever going to, or the majority of it. So, I, yeah, I, th- I think like if you took a 30-year training career, right, I would say for most people, let's just, let's just go on the basis of, you know, their training isn't, like you say, absolutely diabolical for the first five years, which to be fair, you probably is a p- poor thing to say because most people's is. So we probably yeah. should, shouldn't, but just for the easy example, just assume like, you know, people train reasonably well, you probably are going to do 80% of your gains in the first five years, say. And then right. the next 25 years is trying to eke out that next 20, 15, 10% or whatever's left in terms of what you're then probably going to ever accumulate in your entire lifetime, which is a depressing thought. Yeah, but even so, let's say from the from your starting career, starting training, you gain 20 pounds or 25 pounds of muscle in, where say, six or seven years. But you may well be, whatever, 18% body fat. Like with the twenty pound extra muscle, if you obviously when you retain that and over years you get from eighteen to fourteen to twelve to ten, you're probably not going to maintain eight percent all your own. But if you can then maintain ten percent, the difference you want to look at from when you started to when you reached the twenty pound extra muscle and then kept it and dieted so you were more uh, conditioned, it'd be massive. If you still yeah. gain this twenty pound. But you've lost whatever thirty pounds of fat as yeah, well. The, the transformation side of it, yeah, is dramatically different. It was actually you do find you see a lot of people have changed, like you know, seven years into training because they've actually maybe learned their diet correctly, not got overly fat, got in condition, and actually looked bigger. And then the illusion is, see if they get, you know middle single digits and they start to gain again. They call a bulk and not a bulk but you know up up calories and they gain a bit of water. They fill out a bit. They actually look like they gain more muscle when in reality they probably haven't. They've just filled out Yeah, I, I do think some people I mean I I don't want to damn people as if to be like if you start training you're gonna get all of your results in the first few years because actually there are a lot of people that do have almost second bursts or kind of sees multiple amounts of progress. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of that is like people, you know, kind of what I said when we just started about this example, some people don't train particularly well in that first few years. And actually when they start applying scientific principles and kind of correcting form and all that type of stuff, 
they do see these kind of second wins of muscle gain, which they didn't expect to have. Like they thought, oh, my newbie phase is gone. It's almost like they got another newbie phase. But that's because obviously the training quality just suddenly just jumped so much higher. You've got all this new quality stimulus happening, which is inevitably going to cause more muscle gain than maybe um, you might consider a newbie might never do. Because effectively you are a newbie again, because you've, you've actually suddenly said, actually, I've got this whole new stimulus that I didn't have because my training suddenly got better. And I think a lot of people do see that. So I guess like, don't everyone shouldn't feel disheartened who's listening to think that oh my god I'm never I've I've been training three years I'm never going to get any more muscle mass because actually it's not necessarily the case. Um, albeit I do also think it's all aligns with the stuff that we talk about all the time is love the process don't don't worry about the results because if you're worrying about the results the likelihood is you probably are just going to give up because the results aren't going to be as you expect and they they almost never are. Think of it, if you start off with, you know, and let's let's call you small. Skinny-ish. Fuck you, Johnny. Well, you. Oh, sorry. Somebody, whatever. 160 pound. And if you get, if you got to, and you were 160 pound, you don't train. You, you're fairly. Your body fat high. I say it's 20% body fat. You're skinny fat. If you gain 20 pound over a couple of years, you get 180 pound. But you bring your body fat to 10%. You look like a different person. Mm-hmm. It's 20, so 20 pound of mass, muscle mass. However, you've dropped off however many pounds of fat, say 20 pounds of fat. You've, your body weight has swung four, well, you've swung 40 pounds really, you know, if you've dropped 20 pounds of fat and gained 20 pounds of muscle loss. You look significantly different, but that might take you, you know, it could take you a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not to say you won't gain overall, but, you know, you might gain when you're near your ceiling, you know, half pound a year, you know. Yeah, perhaps. Then you're just five pounds. Yeah, just, yeah. Really but anyway, go, going back to, I suppose, the, the training question, uh, I am now week nine, I think, of the uh, formerly known as Average to, uh, average to Savage, um, st- which is now the Stronger by Sides uh, training program. I don't know what you call it, strength program. I don't know, strength program, but actually it's a hypertrophy program because there's multiple spreadsheets, strength and hypertrophy, so you can pick. So I am doing the hypertrophy one because hypertrophy or muscle hypertrophy is my uh, my goal. So, um, yeah. Very good. You're really enjoying it. Uh, progressing weeks, week in, week out. Kind of just seeing quite a nice steady progression throughout. So I think that the schedule or the programme themselves are, are, are we're kind of giving away a lot of training secrets here. That's a bit like giving away the magic code. But uh, the, the spreadsheet itself and the kind of the programme is set to kind of help motivation by not an illusion of progression, but obviously just kind of help people feel like they're progressing still um, or progressing. Because, I mean... An example of that is as like as you as you go week to week, kind of weights increase, but the kind of the expectation in rep targets go down. So you could argue that actually you're not progressing because although you're lifting heavier weights, you're obviously doing less total volume or total workload because obviously your reps are going down. So actually maybe that equals itself out. But so there is this element of like as you're kind of feel like you're progressing, you know, maybe there is this illusion that, that you're not, but, oh, sorry, the, the illusion that you're progressing, but maybe in reality you're not because of that. But um, it's always, I mean, this is what long-term training, progressive training plans are. You don't really look at week to week really in terms of saying that means you're better than the last week because obviously the adaptations are a lot, lot slower than that. So you're never really going to know if you progress from an adaptation perspective in a week, week to week. It just doesn't happen. Like it takes a lot of time for kind of like your actual, um, you know, if your goal is muscle hypertrophy, for actual hypertrophy to happen it doesn't just happen week to week so you can know that oh i've done one extra rep so my muscles must be bigger type thing that just doesn't you can't really relate that so you just have to go through the program time but i am really enjoying it i must admit really enjoying the the kind of different frequency i'm doing where i was doing like upper lower 
sessions previously and I have done for a long, long time, for a good few years. Uh, now doing kind of more split body part. So some days I'll be doing like um, uh, like a compound push movement and then a leg and a compound leg movement and then some sort of form of back exercise and some accessory work. The next day I might do like a, an overhead press and a, uh, I don't know, another like like a hip hinge or something and then a back movement and then some more accessories say that type of stuff so it's really mixed so i'm kind of doing legs multiple times a week but obviously quads one day maybe hamstrings the next um and the same with obviously like chest i might do chest multiple times a week but kind of different uh, modalities or exercise uh movement patterns on on those as well so it's interesting it does it has it's also helped my running a little bit because where i was kind of like i had to have a very set specific day in terms of when i ran purely because the, when I train my leg sessions, they just affected, or either, either they affected my run or my run affected my training sessions. So it had to be quite well um, managed. I feel like I can get away and I actually get a better running performance now because my legs aren't quite so obliterated because I haven't done like a full leg session in one day because it's the frequency and the volume split out over a wider frequency. So I quite quite enjoy that element as well. But no, it's really good. It's really good. I'm enjoying Definitely it. Definitely do in, enjoy, there's definitely someone said for enjoying training got the perfect plan we don't like it probably not gonna stick to it but if the plan is imperfect you stick to it over the long term you probably get better results yeah yeah i mean obviously it's still got to have the right principles and stuff oh, yeah, and still got to fit within a certain template but yeah definitely it doesn't have to be what you no. might consider quote unquote 100 optimal to be you know the arguably like you say the adherence aspect and enjoying it is more optimal than than it not being but i've got to adapt my training recently because i've only got a limited amount of things mostly a barbell Mm -hmm. So most of my uh, sessions are based around just compounding movements now. I don't do deadlifts, so not conventional deadlifts, I should say. So I've been doing, um, so you have relatively, well, so high weight for 20 reps, clearly not, but doing uh, high rep squatting, because I find it quite, uh, quite funny, quite fun. But it's quite like, ooh. And by one rep from failure, I feel like if I do another one, I'm going to fall over. Anything double figures squatting is... Perfect. And, and yeah. no, no for me, really. But we t we tied it a um, couple of months ago. Just um, just bring up like Tom Blast, just drag him to five reps, have two breaths, and go again, and go again, and go again until it's surprising what you can do when you've got someone in your face and you're like, oh, I'm going to collapse now. Yeah. But, yeah. And it's surprising. So the, the diet has probably gained about eight to 10 kilos and a couple of reps. So not too bad. I was doing a, I done 110 for 21 the other day, and it felt horrid. It was horrid. Pa if, pounds, yeah. No, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> How dare you say pounds? The aim is to get like if I can do if I can. That's a lot of weight. If I can, if I can maintain that sort of, I don't do it all the time. I find it quite fun. If I can maintain that or even gain a bit throughout the next six months of maintaining diet, I'd, I'd be quite happy with that. So go on. You're bigger than the diet. What one thing I have uh, found through my kind of this, this period is, um, I must admit, I feel a bit intolerant to those carbs, though. I'm starting to feel a bit like lightheaded and fatigued a lot of the time and like just that mind fog and bloated and. I'm just unexpectedly gaining weight. I think it's just to do with me eating too many carbohydrates. I think I just feel a little bit intolerant, maybe. It sounds like a new keto to solve all these problems. Yeah. Good. I heard keto solve world peace. 
Well, I don't know if I want to go full keto, but I think just finding out where my, my kind of level of carb tolerance is is basically where I probably need to, to go. I, I can I can probably tell you where, where that is. You're eating too much. <laughs> uh, some people listening might think, what the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people listening might think, what the fuck are these two on about? Um, I, I decided this week I wanted to talk about the term or the, the kind of condition known as carb or carbohydrate intolerance. Um, condition. Uh, I don't know if it is, you could even call it a condition, but we will. Uh, what what is carbohydrate intolerance, Johnny? Nice. How how can you be intolerant to carbs? What does that mean? I think people. Let's go with what I think. What things like the net Netflix documentaries would likely say. Um, people who transfer to keto and keto advocates is what they say. You're intolerant to carbs because you feel bloated. You feel tired after eating them. Or you're, you're gaining weight even though you're in a deficit when you're fucking clearly not. I think that's what people think is carb intolerance. Yeah, that seems to be what people go to when they actually don't realise they're overeating. It's not everyone, but you know the majority, yeah. especially when it comes to diet and losing weight. They're not losing weight. Oh, I must be intolerant to carbs because I eat a lot of bread and whatever else, cereal and shit like that, not shit, but stuff like that. So I must be carb intolerant when it's actually, no, you're just eating too much. I, I was exposed to the term uh, several years ago from a well-known fitness guru that had like the UK's number one podcast for a while. Uh, probably still is, I don't know. I can't say I, I follow anymore, but... Um, where this that was kind of what you just said. The idea was that your, everyone's bodies can kind of tolerate a certain amount of carbs, and everyone's carb tolerance is different. Um, but I never really got my head around that. So, like, okay, well, how how do you test this thing then? Because, like you say, like if you if you kind of go over your carb tolerance, the idea was that you would potentially unexpectedly gain weight, um, or you just feel shitty all the time because your body can't tolerate those carbs. So you, you kind of have to reduce your carbs to stop feeling shitty. That was kind of the, this premise. And like the shitty could be the, the symptoms that you said around feeling tired, fatigued, bloated. Um, you know, I, I joked about foggy brain syndrome or whatever the fuck, you know, it might be. But And yeah, it never really sat well with me because it's kind of like, that just doesn't sound like right. I don't, I don't, it's just it's like, well, how, how do I measure this then? And that, that was kind of like the thing that I, that went in my head. And I never, anytime I never, I can't say I'm an expert in the area because I haven't done loads of research in in kind of this idea of like carbohydrate tolerance, um, purely because I think it's not a thing. But I was always wondering, like, well, how do you measure someone's tolerance to carbohydrates then? Because that's kind of one of the first questions that always pops in my head when someone kind of makes a, a blanket statement around a specific condition or disease. Okay, well, how do you measure this thing then? That is the that is the question. How do you measure it? Surely it must be, um, well, yeah, well, you can't. It's, you're just almost like taking. You've got, you just, you just got, you got, you've got, you've. Uh, I'm, I'm stumbling on my words here because I'm so flabbergasted. Um, you've almost got to just take someone's word for the fact that, oh yeah, no, you are carbohydrate intolerant. Um, so reduce your carbohydrates until you feel okay again, and then there you go, you're okay. I think if. The, the body loves glucose, you know, that's his preferred fuel source. And where's the easiest 
place to get glucose from? Carbs. Well, any other... Simply uh, having that carbohydrate tolerance where the body goes, ah, no, I don't want this. It's like, hmm. You probably get to the point where you're eating too many carbs, too many fats. So then carbs eventually get converted to fat eventually. And then that's when it's like, well, it's too much. I don't need this, all this anymore. I'll store it for later on. But you think the body runs in glucose primarily, which comes from car- these sources, carbs. Let's look at the, you know, let's look at the reality. Are people really carb intolerant? But it, it, even that point around like excess carbohydrates over a long period of time being converted to body fat, I, the, even the research out there shows that's like almost impossible yes. or like very very rarely happens because what usually happens is you'll just use the carbohydrates for energy and then other substrates like stored. the fat, dietary fat you consume will just get stored instead so like you have to overfeed on on carbohydrates for a long long period of time before that really starts to happen so even then it's kind of like not really a thing um I, no. yeah like the, the overlipogenesis um just just very rarely happens it's like a last resort almost in that your body's way of trying to stop itself get being you know, blood sugar poison, effectively, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like a lot of these things, there is a small element of truth to some of this stuff that like gets bastardised and turned into a thing. And whether that's turned into a thing because someone wants to sell something off the back of it, or sell a service, or sm- sound smart, or I don't know, whatever. But obviously there are some issues with, like, like digestive issues, say. So for people that... Um, suffer from things like SIBO or GERD. So SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. GERD, I think uh, gastro... Gastro... Esophageal, is it? Is it esophageal reflux disorder, I think. I can't remember what the E is. Esophageal. Shit, is that, I mean, I was going to say gastroenteral, but then I don't know if that's the arse end, is it? But either way. <laughs> um, yeah, effectively, but a lot of those things have asked those conditions are caused or let's say caused like basically excess carbohydrates or carbohydrates that are like passed down into the small intestine that in the condition of SIBO say um carbohydrates getting into the small intestine fermenting causing gases uh and you can imagine those gases in there then start to have some nasty side effects so lowering carbohydrates so they don't make their way into the small intestine can sometimes be a good thing that for me though is slightly different than what you might consider falls on the bracket of carbohydrate tolerance or intolerance. Um, like I say, I don't know how you can really even measure that. I, I, like I say, what what does a type of carb matter? Does it matter if you're having like high fiber um, whole foods that are carbohydrate based, starch based foods, or does it, or is it only kind of things that are higher in kind of the old, um, disaccharides and and the old shorter chain sugars? Um, I don't know. Yeah, with an excess of fibre can make you feel uh, unpleasant. Well, well this Just is it. Fat. Yeah, I mean, obviously, some some fibre making its way into into the. Uh, let me get this right. I think probably the small intestine as well. Um, obviously, can then uh, ferment and turn. Um, uh, I need to make sure I get my. I can't. I'm trying to think back to my fucking. Yeah. Let's let's forget. Let's uh, before I butcher this process because I'm not an expert in this area quite clearly. Um, but effectively, you know, there are some uh, benefits to having fiber kind of that f- ferment those areas and create some short chain fatty acids 
that they can provide energy and like help like good bacteria grow and that type of stuff which is why fiber is really good for your diet say really good for your gut health which is why we say like you know you need to eat a good amount of fiber um but obviously if you eat too much fiber say then you can have issues but again i don't i just don't see where that falls into this idea of a carbohydrate tolerance or carbohydrate intolerance it's like when you eat if you eat uh, a modestly large sunday dinner roast dinner a lot of carbs a lot of fiber quite heavy but it is heavy and you you know i felt really bloated but i, I think then people mistake it for maybe excessive bloating when it's actually no you've just eaten shitloads of fiber shitloads of carbs and a lot of actual food volume in one meal oh my god i feel like shit oh my god i'm like yeah because you have a giant giant meal yeah. carb well, and fiber i think and people do think that is there no they're intolerant to carbs i'm like no just eating a shitload of food. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned it last week in terms of, I think you used the term postprandial somnolence, which is obviously that exactly describes that state of where you've just eaten too much food, quite often high um, rates of carbohydrates. And that is that kind of food coma or like food drunk dinner, like post dinner dip type feeling that we all get when we have massive meals. But that isn't really to do with the fact that you're eating huge amounts of carbohydrates. That's to do with the fact that you're having a large meal, which is, um, I don't, I'll be honest. I don't even know if we know we know the or if we even know the cause of it. Do we? As no. in, obviously, you know, a large meal is the cause. But what is the mechanism that is causing the idea that all this, the feeling of fatigue or lethargy or food coma type things? I don't even know whether that's something that we even know why that happens. If I did once upon a time, it I now don't because I've forgotten. Um, not sure. As in, I don't, I don't know. I think it's one of those things, a bit like stitch and other things, where they happen. And when someone says, like, actually, we don't know the exact mechanism why that happens, that, that kind of always weirds me out. I think we don't know that yet. What you can send people to the fucking moon, but we don't know that yet. But I just don't think we don't. I, I know I've heard kind of theories before around um, like carbohydrates and serotonin, um, obviously, which is a bit like a, a relaxing hormone and can kind of stimulate this re relaxation feeling. I think tryptophan is another one you often get. Um, when you go on to eat lots of um, foods that are higher in tryptophan, um, which is obviously like you know turkey and, and meat and dairy products and stuff. Um, other than that, I, I've, I suppose the other things I've heard are things, and I don't know how this is completely not pseudoscience, so I'm probably going to say this, and someone's going to say, you fucking idiot, that's rubbish, how do you know that? But um, this idea, I think, that you have so much food in the gut that it creates, it uses a lot of energy to digest, and therefore it kind of makes you feel tired because you've kind of got blood rushing to the digestive organs and things. Again, I don't know how much that is true, whether it kind of activates the, like, the parasympathetic nervous system, as people have said before, but yeah, I don't know. That, I say that a lot of these things I think are just theories and that we don't really even know why that happens but you're on mute Johnny I said yes it's a bit odd you can we've been to the moon we've landed things on Mars then you know what causes a stitch it's bizarre isn't it yeah it's very bizarre bodies as well isn't it yeah but then you know we've managed to work out things like uh, mTOR and uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some really complicated processes, but we've, we've worked out some really complicated processes in the body, you know, some really amazing stuff that we can now do. You, know, you think about Elon Musk and the Neuralink stuff that you're talking about in terms of attaching, um, I was going to say electrodes, maybe not electrodes, but like attaching stuff to people's brains basically to allow them to connect to 
external devices madness like if you start yeah you start to do this sort of stuff and yet we can't work out why people feel tired after eating big meals yeah yeah i'll tell you what i don't think it is i don't think it's carbohydrate tolerance or intolerance probably right yeah probably right there no the body the body enjoys carbohydrates i would say yeah i i think that you know just kind of go back on some of the stuff i suppose then so i guess like is potentially things like this this idea of the symptoms you get from carbohydrate intolerance is actually really things like postprandial somnolence um the fact that the idea that you can gain weight by overeating on carbs but not being a calorie surplus is ridiculous um it kind of falls a little bit in line with the insulin hypothesis which has been debunked as far as i'm concerned um but i suppose the 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 idea that you can gain weight is to do with insulin so in terms of gain weight by having it being intolerant in or in that level of intolerance to carbs um yeah i i just think it's bullshit really i think it's more a case of actually your the people gaining weight are gaining weight because they're in a calorie surplus and i think a lot of the kind of the the issues with things like general health issues in terms of tiredness um lethargy and all of the things that we've kind of reeled off I think a lot of those are actually more to do with the fact that people are just generally unhealthy so this the idea of like carb carbohydrate intolerance is caused by genetics by poor lifestyle by eating too many processed foods not doing exercise it's like actually you think about it all the things that you're describing there would not necessarily cause carbohydrate intolerance they would just cause someone to be metabolically unhealthy you know, they would start to develop diabetes say you know poor sleep poor stress management so is it really do why we label it something like called carbohydrate intolerance but actually it's not that it's just poor metabolic health because of your shit lifestyle because it's always nice it's always nice for people to think yeah i've got that that's me what give um, it a name i'm blank get everybody oh yeah if you if you just feel like this you must have carbon tolerance just go you know go on uh, keto or whatever else they got something to say to you it's always the same if it's always an absolute this is the best way to do something you know generally mm. it's not the generally speaking there's always a, a method never one method never works for everyone however principles work for everyone just you decide what method you want to use yeah yeah and obviously like if you talk if we start going down the insulin route again and kind of like blood sugar controls and things again like how 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 is this related to carbohydrate tolerance and not just again to just kind of pull poor blood sugar controls based on someone's metabolic health based yeah. on the fact that they like anyone that would might go to a doctor's and kind of have routine checks around their health maybe it is because they you know there, there are some genetic predisposition to it clearly they are um but if they're not exercising, they're eating shit foods, they're not managing the sleep, they're not managing the stress, um, you know, they're overweight, then clearly they are going to have problems kind of tolerating carbohydrates because they're going to have really shit blood sugar control, which, you know, is then going to be a problem. But that isn't necessarily because they're eating too many carbohydrates, because their life is style is shit, you know? And then, therefore, they yes, maybe they can't tolerate so many carbs. And by tolerate, we mean basically, you know, not control their blood sugars it's not really the same thing so i don't know it's just that I, I wanted to kind of talk about this today because this idea that people keep kind of coming up it's a bit like the adrenal fatigue thing which ironically i was also exposed to by the same individual about saying obviously oh, yeah you got you maybe you're working too hard and your adrenals are fatigued it's like what is, is, it that, is, is that, debunked as it doesn't exist yeah i was gonna say is that a thing 
Junior Ortega, no. At, at no, no, of course not. We know that now. But you know, seven or eight years ago, when I was listening to these this individual, um, I didn't know any better, and I did think that, oh, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah mate. how many people who are not really interested in, who don't want, not, who don't really want to learn nutrition that in depth, really just think, well, that's gospel, and that's it then. And then if someone's got a, a certain personality. And then they tell they tell their mates out oh, someone's convincing, and they think, "Oh, I've got uh, adrenal fatigue or carbohydrate intolerance," and how easy misinformation spreads. Mm. Yeah, and I guess like the the idea of carbohydrate intolerance is similar to adrenal fatigue in that I guess it's like real off a, a load of quite generic um, symptoms, and when I say generic, I mean symptoms that can apply to many different conditions. Um, and then, but kind of get, just try and cover them all by a catch-all term of okay, you must have X, Y, Z because it creates all these different symptoms. When actually, all those symptoms could be underlined from many other stuff. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that was the same for adrenal fatigue. And saying so like, oh, are, are you tired or worn out all the time? And um, even though you're getting plenty of sleep, and do you crave certain carbohydrates or certain salty foods? Or but yet, no one can actually find from you. You must have adrenal fatigue. Buy my herbal remedy. Blah blah blah. And it's like what. Yeah, that's bang on, isn't it? Yeah, and it, you know it's got the the carbohydrate intolerance thing sounds quite similar. In that, oh, are you are you struggling to to lose weight? Are you feeling tired? And do you, you know do, when you have big meals, do you kind of want to just go to bed and sleep? And it's like you must have carbohydrate intolerance, or you're eating too many carbs for your body. No, your Tip, lifestyle sheet. Digestive enzyme supplement. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, and like I said, a lot of these things I think are caused by the fact that there is an element of truth to them in that yes some people are maybe potentially eating too many carbohydrates but not because they're eating too many carbohydrates but because they're basically gaining weight and becoming metabolically unhealthy mm. so or you know we talked about the kind of the more the gastro and digestional type stuff where they're eating too many carbohydrates because they're getting SIBO or GERD which again is not necessarily carbohydrate intolerance it's just by reducing your carbohydrates you do just happen to help the symptoms like going back to the novel agenda thing, you know, in that case, the carbohydrates you'd have to consume is at extreme, along with, you know, having a lot of fat. So your body has to go to extreme places to not need or not be able to use carbohydrates. Yeah. The chance of you eating that many, well, some people probably will, but probably increases them. Have you ever um, spoke to a client or advised anyone to reduce their carbohydrates because they're intolerant or they're eating too many that they can tolerate? Never. Okay. <laughs> We've maybe reduced carbs to reduce calories, but not because they have carbohydrate intolerance. Funnily enough, mm. never. Not once has it even been discussed. Well, I hope. Um, I, I hope carbohydrate. Tolerances, or they must be quite high in people like the Okinawa tri tribes or like some of the Asian population, because predominantly their their diets are pretty high in carbohydrates. Um, with the blue zones, yeah, yeah. Most of those, other than uh, the what's the uh, Eskimo tribe that live in why, can't, why is the name lost? Obviously, they live on like whale blubber and like whale blood. Which is obviously not particularly high in carbohydrates. Let's be honest, but they're like yeah. one of the few. Um, but yeah, being healthy and being in, um, well, being healthy 
for one, is never a one-size-fits-all thing. As you see with the blue zones, there's a big difference there, isn't it, between someone who lives in, this is it California, and there's one in, is it one in California? Is it like a remote tribe there? Is it California? California. Some, it? Mm. Anyway, one of them. And then, you know, people, the Eskimos even just will blubber. It's like some, someone, uh, some of them are eating, obviously, extremely high fat. And the others then are probably eating a far, far greater deal of carbohydrates compared to fat, but yet they're all in the same club of being in the blue zone. Mm. I was trying to see if I can find a list of them, but there is a whole website called bluezones.com, which is what looks like some form of uh, diet plan slash support package in terms of uh, based on the blue zones, which, you know, someone's done a good job of marketing. Longevity test and blue zone checklists. And hit, sign up for our blue zone courses. Happiness test, I like that. I might take a happiness test. Blue zone courses? Yeah. Or as well. It's like, you know, they, they live in drives. They do a lot of exercise because they have to do the cast of food. You are, they eat to round them. They don't eat processed foods because obviously they can't get hold of them. They cook everything. They're less stressed. They don't have to go to work nine to five and be stressed for other things. Their family's more important. Everything that they do contributes to their health, not because they like in just a little bit more veg or they are plant-based, which I imagine they all are, apart from obviously the... Um, the Eskimos, not just the one thing that contributes to them being, you know, even to overrun. Well, how, how, how do you describe the blue zones? Obviously, there's more centenarians. Yeah, the highest the highest percentage of centenarians in uh, in the world, basically. So basically, people that um, reach 100. Yeah, so basically, they they've got the highest percentage of like living longer. Plus, most of them basically have any absence of kind of things like metabolic diseases, like diabetes and cardiovascular disease and that type of stuff. So then, it's, it's, ne cause it's never one thing that's contributing to them being like they are. No, it, no. Your no. diet can be immense, but you don't do any exercise. You sit, you sit down all day. You want to work mega stressed. It's, it's, so it's, you're not. It's the over overriding thing is you're not healthy. It's not. It's not just yeah. The characteristics of what they think causes these this longevity, I suppose, um, are not just nutrition. Um, I mean, I just I've just found uh, an article showing that there are five, and you are right. It's the Loma Indians in California. Okay. Um, but there's uh, Sardinia, uh, the Okinawa tribe, Japan, obviously Loma Indians, um, Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and Ikaria in Greece. Mm. So uh, they obviously have the highest percentage of centenarians. And there are some loaded, I mean, there's a, there's a nice Venn diagram here, actually. It shows all of the characteristics of why they believe that all adds to this kind of longevity and it isn't, like, isn't all nutrition basis like... Um, in fact, the middle part of this Venn diagram shows like social engagement, constant physical activity, plant-heavy diets, no smoking, uh, family, leg and then legumes. But I guess legumes are highly correlated with obviously health. But then you've kind of got uh, on the outer side bits, things like whole grains, being culturally isolated, no alcohol, uh, faith, uh, empowered women, sunshine, gardening, um, high polyphenol wines, uh, healthy social circles, uh, High nut consumption, no time urgency, likability, and in Japan, turmeric, <laughs> random. Um, but yeah, and it just shows you that things like not smoking, constant sunlight, high community um, values, and like engagement in social life and, fa and family life and spirituality and stuff like that is 
a massive part of why people are healthy and not just because they eat some fruits and vegetables. So, like I say, it's, it, I think it must have been. Maybe it's not the uh, maybe it's not any the blue zones that I'm thinking about about that lives predominantly on whale blubber and whale blurred because um, I don't think it's any of those, is it? I thought it was one up that way, but maybe not. Like you mentioned wine there, and how many people have said to someone, "Yeah, but the, the tribes who are really healthy drink some wine." Like, yeah, if you're missing a fucking point, there's a lot of other shit as well. They're not drinking a bottle like you fuckers every week, yeah. do they? Yeah, you know? every day. But it's it's a bit. Always people want to pick out one thing that oh that's that's okay because they do it. But no, the fact that everything else around them is bang on perfect to help them live a healthy life. That's what makes them live to 100, not because they drink a bit of wine every day. You don't. It's like, do the Zac Efron thing, and he's with a, a prominent vegan, and this guy was, he'd done my head in. Oh, they're, they're vegans. No, they're not, mate. They're plant-based, which is a fucking different thing. They are plant-based, as in most of their food is plant, but they do have some meat. I hate, I just get in my tits, because everybody's watching, and going, oh, they're not vegan, are they? But no, they're plant-based. They have some meat. Probably not a lot, but they are, that is not vegan. Again, it's the vegans, like the vegans would push that, oh, the blue zones are vegan. Well, they're fucking not, are they? Oh, the blue zones drink uh, wine. Yeah, not like the Brits drink fucking wine, no, is it? Or the uh, Yanks, or the Australians, who are the three fattest nations on earth. Well, maybe Samoa are, on that, are in that category as well, but it's always it's always someone going, it's the one, they pick up the one thing, that's going to fucking change everything. It's yeah, like carb tolerance. That's the one thing why you're gaining weight. Carb tolerance. No, it's fucking not. I've um, I've just remembered the tribe name Inuits. Of course, it is. It was actually seals rather than whale blubber, by the way. But they mostly eat seals and walrus and, and obviously some caribou if they can uh, they can find them in small herds. I should imagine a walrus just staying someone for a good ten years. They are. Big huge monsters, isn't it? Maybe not ten years, but yeah, a decent a decent while. I mean, you know, a caribou can last on a year. Like the size of a caribou is like pretty. They're like massive uh, moose, aren't they? So, you know, one caribou can easily last a family a year type thing. Like if they're well, if they can like use it all and and can actually keep it. I guess if you're in the middle of the fucking Antarctic or wherever the hell it is, Greenland. Um, anyway, blue zones. Hello, please. Speaking of the blue zones, how how would obviously we got people who've lived to hundred and is this hundred and sixteen the record, or whatever it is, isn't it? Do they know for certain that someone in those places hasn't lived older, or then have they studied them enough to know that? Because obviously there's some tribes that have never seen other humans. Well, I don't. Know, I don't think they class the blue zones. But no, they're not. No, I mean you obviously got people in like Amazonian areas yeah. and stuff where yeah, like they see people come in helicopters and they just throw spears at them because they think they're being attacked type thing. And obviously they're quite dangerous to approach, aren't they? Yeah. Like how how do you how do we know that hundred and sixteen is is the is the record for a human? I, I the chances are these these tribes probably not going to live to one because they probably eat each other, <laughs> eat each other. You know. So there was one, it was quite sad actually. It was, I think it may have been on the Zac Efron thing. He went to this a really, really remote tribe. They have seen people before, but not much. And they thought the six-year-old kid though was outcast because they thought his 
his, his mother was a witch. And they said, oh, eventually, when he's old enough, they'll, they'll try and kill him. I'm like, this, you know, it's mental. That yeah. we, in 2021, there's people who believe in witches because they haven't, obviously, society of them hasn't had the change. Yeah. You know, they, they turn up with fucking cameras and phones and stuff, and they're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it's like being on a different fucking planet. But it's like, it's madness. Oh, there's tribes you've never seen or rarely contact other humans who, who think nothing of trying to kill a kid. Yeah. Well, it's madness to think they still exist. Because you just, you know, us in our blinkered little society, sheltered societies, we just we wouldn't even realise that there are still tribes or groups of people that still exist in those areas that are so remote that they, they don't even know that technology exists in the way it does. and you know, because they just don't go outside of their, their small areas and tribes. But anyway, we've kind of gone a little bit off topic here. Um, there was something you said earlier that I want to come back to, but now I've completely forgotten. What do, oh, yeah, I suppose, like, one thing maybe just worth just ending on, potentially, is the, this, the idea of, like, one of the symptoms of carbohydrate intolerance being bloating and stuff. I wanted to just mention, actually, that you see this quite a lot. Uh, certainly on like the Instagram sphere and fitness space and stuff where people like get to the end of the day and like, oh, look how bloated I am, blah, blah, blah. And I want to say that I actually think a level of bloating is a very normal physiological thing that everyone really suffers from. Like you, basically you shouldn't expect to be kind of the same physical condition like of bloating, say, at night time when you wake up. I, I would say, yeah, I would agree. Because you, you wake up and obviously you've, your digestive system has gone through its process all night of digesting. I know obviously that does slow, that your digestive system will, will slow down at night time because obviously it's, you know, you're asleep. But basically the food, the food should be passing through you or whatever else or your digestive system has, has happened since you've had your last meal. And you should wake up feeling less bloated than when you will be by the time you go to bed because you've eaten a day's worth of food. Like that, so some level of bloating is is probably quite normal. But I think what happens a lot of people sell this and say like, no, that's a bad thing. You need to do X, Y, Z, buy my product, blah blah blah. Stop the bloating. Like, well, actually, no. You should expect that a level of bloating is fine. The problem really becomes when it becomes really uncomfortable. Now that probably isn't normal in air quotes that you get to a night time and it's like so bad, you're bloating so bad that it's painful. Then maybe there is something you should look at, and whether that is something like SIBO or GERD or um celiac disease or something like that could be a number of things ibs um i think to expect zero bloating at night time i think is a bit misaligned and i don't think that's correct no i do i i, I would agree with that you can do because i well kind of because it's just me but i'll gain like five five pounds in a day and i don't eat i mean i'm about two and a half calories obviously because you're drinking water you're eating more so you are your body's going to fluctuate a little bit from the morning to night isn't it yeah unless you're, on, unless you're eating like a freaking squirrel all day mm-hmm. like 500 calories I suppose when I suppose when people start if people are eating excessively and they, and they drop calories consistently over time then obviously they, they're eating less so there's less strain on the stomach there's probably less bloating so they probably feel better when they cut calories. Like people go on keto, they cut loads of calories, so they feel better. Yeah, but lo- like you said earlier about fiber, though, a lot of people when they diet, they their fiber intake increases because obviously they start looking at more whole foods and more fiber-containing food to as a ma- as a way of managing hunger and kind of eating um, higher food volumes for for a lower amount of calories. So that can also be kind of 
it could increase basically bloating and kind of issues because of the pure amount of fiber they're eating compared to maybe previous diets say but how, how often do you find someone with a junk diet is just excessive carbs how often do they eat foods that got carbs and fats in like oh yeah i eat loads of bread yeah but you pile loads of butter on as well so there's more calories in the butter than is in the bread that you're putting on there Mm. So they never, like I say never, but the majority of the time they're not just eating carbs in excess, it's fat as well. So they, it's, they shouldn't even be pinpointing, oh, carbs is the issue. Well, it's not. It's the fact that they're eating loads of carbs and loads of fat and loads of calories. Yeah. Um, we are an hour eight, so I suggest we round this one up now. Or, sorry, maybe we did just round it up, but maybe end it here. Um, thank you all for listening. Like Johnny said uh, at the start of this program, and like I uh, echoed, it is nice to share. So please, please, please do us the honour of sharing uh, with friends, family, your Instagram, your Facebook, or your network, whoever you have access to, because we would love more people to listen um, and just help spread the word. We do this for free, so um, it's not like we're you know we're asking people to pay us for it. So please, please do us the honour and, and share it around. Um, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Follow us on Instagram, no nonsense, at No Nonsense Nutrition. Uh, or you can join our free Facebook group, which is just the No Nonsense Nutrition Facebook group. And I think I have it all covered. I think that's covered, to be honest. I mm -hmm. think you've got it all covered. Good, I think it might be covered, right. Uh, on that note, let's say bonjour, au revoir, and I'm going to go eat half a bar of Galaxy Dairy Milk or something. You disgust me. Too many carbs. I've got chicken, barbecue chicken, a mixture of sweet potato, white potato, because we're not sweet potato. And some frozen mixed veg, which is now obviously not frozen anymore. No, you're so bro because obviously sweet potato is way more better for you than way more better, way better for you than white potato. Mm, it tastes better, but that's about really. Oh, right. Next week's podcast: sweet potato versus white potato. <laughs> it's on. One's orange, one's white. One tastes. They both taste very nice. Depends what you put on them, of course. I do have a preference of sweet potato. Hmm. Horses for courses for me. I think it's it based on the time and the moment and what you're eating it with. But I think I'm a white over sweet generally. I do uh, like I do like a nice crispy sweet potato fry though. They are nice. They are decent. Anyway, bonjour. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week.